All right. What's up, Salt Company? How are we doing tonight? Man, it's amazing to see you, uh, not just here tonight, but actually see you. Last week I saw literally nobody but the front row, so this is much more like it, much more family setting. Super happy you made it. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm on staff here. Get to preach the Bible tonight. I'm very excited about that, but I'm also just super happy you made it to Tiffin. I mean, I'm sure you're happy you made it too. I'm sure some of you got rides from people you didn't know very well and thought, where in the world are they taking me into this cornfield in the middle of nowhere? Well, welcome to church. Uh, we love calling Veritas Church our home. That's what it is for Salt Company. We do not exist outside of the authority of this local church, and we are so thankful for it. It's not always convenient, but it's absolutely worth it, all right? We are going to start off our semester in a fun way. We usually kind of do like a foundation series, a welcome to Salt Company, a DNA, like who we are. And this year, we're kind of doing that as a bit of a twist, right? We're calling it, if you look behind me, the family table. Nice graphic. The family table. That's what we are doing, and we are trying to communicate this with that title. We want Salt Company to feel like a family. Bottom line. Really not more complex than that. We want Salt Company to feel like a family, all right? It's like you walk in, and it's your first time, and you say, wow. Like somebody said hi to me. Like, that's a pretty low bar, I know, but man, maybe this place feels uniquely warm to other places you go throughout your week. Like, we want this place to feel like a family, but more than that, we want this to feel like a family that anybody can get in on, right? There's not some secret code you have to know or kind of bar that you have to achieve to call this your family. We want to be hospitable and warm and welcome that anyone can get in on this, but let me ask you then, why? Why would you, if you're turning this on me, say, why would I want to call this my family? Okay, maybe it could be one of a few things. Maybe it's Thursday nights. The event, right? You guys were just at a concert, right? That's what it felt like. Cool. Yeah, the lights, the camera, the action, worship team auditions. You could be a rock star, right? Like, is that why you want to be a part of this family? Uh, probably not, okay? We... No, we're not that impressive. We love to talk about how unimpressive we are, and you will get incredibly bored if that's why you come to Salt Company. So it can't be the event or the show. Is it the community? Okay, it has to be this, sure, right? Like the friends. We, guys, we're living in the friendship capital of the world. If you haven't heard that yet, you need to know. Iowa City, the friendship capital of the world. Salt Company is a great beacon of friendship. It's like a friendship factory. Connection groups. You're going to find people who are in your wedding someday in this room. Oh, my goodness. Crazy, right? Wow, it's got to be the relationships. I'm going to push back and say, I don't think so. Okay, that's a good thing, but I don't think that's the main thing here. That's a great gift, but the more you get to know me, the more you get to know the people in your connection groups, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, these people have failed me time and time and time again. We are all imperfect. It cannot be all about us and the people. Why should you want in this family? The answer is very simple. The Father. The father that unites this family. God, that's why you should want to be in on this family, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you feel anything good here, you have any good experiences here, it is simply a gift from our father. We firmly believe that. If people are warm and inviting, it's because they're just taking after their father. And if people you see here have a distinct flavor of holiness, right? Like differentness out in the world, it's simply them just trying to follow in the footsteps of their father, okay? That's what we believe is true. And so tonight, as we attend the family table, we're gonna be talking about the father of the family, plain and simple tonight. 
And so you need to know, what is this God, this Father, what is this God actually like? Right, we come in with a lot of ideas, a lot of different religious backgrounds or lack thereof. Everybody's heard about God for sure, but we all have our different ideas and we cannot get this wrong. That's what's at stake tonight. We cannot get this wrong when we answer the question, what is God actually like? So here's a short answer that we're going to be unpacking for the rest of the night. That if you knew this father, you would absolutely love him. I know it sounds like a cheat answer. We're going to go with it, okay? If you knew this father, you would absolutely love him. That's our big idea tonight as we dive into the Bible. And so let me address something before we even dive in. Let me say that on the topic of fatherhood, we all come from different places with this one, all right? I have a great dad. I love him. And I was trying to think of like ways that maybe he's failed me in the past. It took a while, okay? I, the only thing that came to my mind was when I was really little and he like made me waffles every day. He heated up the frozen waffles. He's not that good of a dad. And he heated me up my waffles this day and I don't know what I said. It must have been really immature and stupid. Like a really obvious, almost rhetorical thing I said. Because I remember clear as day. I might have been seven years old, maybe six. My dad looks me in the eyes. He does this and goes, duh, okay? I don't know what I said, but I remember what he said. He looked at me in the eyes and he said, duh. And you would have thought he took out a knife and stabbed it into my heart. Because I started welling up with tears and was like, <laughs> and he's like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I didn't know my kid was this sensitive. And he's like, what's wrong? What happened? And I, I just remember saying back to him through the tears, like, you never said duh to me before. I've gotten a lot tougher since then. But that's a story to tell you that I have an awesome relationship with my father and I love him to death. He's a great example of what God is like as a father to me, but I also want to acknowledge that there is a lot of hurt in this room. That when we talk about fatherhood, you immediately have some preconceived notions and experiences that you do not want to bring back up, that you are finally free from right now, coming to college, and you do not want to talk about this tonight. But I want to tell you something, that God has you here for a very specific purpose, and he has something very specific to say to every single person tonight about his fatherhood. So whether you're coming in with scars that you want to repress, I want to say that God is going to meet you there. And if you're coming with joys that you said, I had a great dad, God is going to exceed your expectations still. This God that you'll be confronted with tonight is amazing. You'll absolutely love him, okay? So tonight, Jesus is going to introduce us to the Father by way of a story. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 15 is where we're going. Matthew, Mark, Luke Third book of the New Testament, about three quarters of the way there. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen, no worries. But Jesus is going to be telling us a little story, all right? And he's telling this story, a slew of stories here, to a very mixed crowd. People that are very religious and people that are described as tax collectors and sinners, the bottom feeders, all right? And he's sharing this story, teaching all of them and teaching all of us tonight. And this is that story. You probably heard it and it still messes me up when I study it because I love it so much. The prodigal son or the lost son. This is what verse 11 through 24 say of Luke 15. He, Jesus, also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Ugh. 
He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, this is crazy. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He practiced that, right? But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Okay. This story is so good, guys. I love it. And Jesus tells this story, aiming to tell us what God is like as a father. And he says some things here that would have definitely confused his original audience. That definitely would have had them a bit baffled. First, the audacity of this younger brother, who seems to be the villain to a certain extent, for at least a little bit. He's a fool. He goes to his father while his father is still alive and says, give me my inheritance. You know what that means, right? That means you are as good as dead to me. Give me what you will give me when you die now. I want my money and I don't want you. And the father in the story obliges. He gives him his money. And he goes and what happens next? People probably start cheering in the crowd. He hits rock bottom, right? He says later that he spent all of his money on prostitutes. This kid was a joke. He was immature. He was living for himself in the world, and he betrayed his father. But he hits rock bottom. The freedom that he was chasing runs absolutely dry. And what he decides to do next, everybody saw coming. He has no other option but to turn back and go home, right? He has to go back home and beg for mercy because there is no other option. He was a son of this father, but he's already forfeited that. He says, so I'm just going to go. I'm just going to try and work for my dad. Maybe then I'll be able to eat as he's sitting there, covered in pig slop, just wishing he could eat as good as the pigs that he took care of. That is a new low for any of us. And so he sets off for home after prepping his speech in a pig pen. And now, what happens next would shock everybody. As he brings his speech, as he's practicing and reciting on his way home, probably limping home, just the saddest sight you've ever seen, Something surprises him and would surprise everybody else and should surprise us tonight. The father takes off. Look what it says in verse 20. His father saw him from a distance. You can almost picture him like sitting there on the porch, like looking into the distance, like what if today is the day that he finally comes home? He sees him in the distance. He's filled with something. Anger? No, compassion. Immediate wells of love start overflowing. He's filled with compassion. He runs. Guys like this don't run in times like this. Fathers, royal men, people with money. It would be undignified to run. He says, forget that. I am going to get my boy. And he takes off running. He tackles him. He kisses him. And he throws a party for him. Wow. What a father that is, right? That is incredible. I read this old dead guy's sermon about this. 
earlier this week. And the whole entire sermon, guys, the pastor couldn't get over this one line. He kissed him. He wrote an entire sermon just on that one line, how amazing it is that the father would kiss him, that the Bible would draw attention to the love of the father for this rebel. And in that sermon, this guy says, slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. That's so cool. Slow are the steps of repentance. Like, almost like the guy's just hobbling on his way home. But swift are the feet of forgiveness in this father. What this guy's blown away by, what we should be blown away by is this, that the father's compassion acted before the son could ever make his plea for help. That before he ever got a word of his speech out, the father beat him to the punch with his mercy. He was waiting and he was ready. It was the father who saw the son far off. It was the father who boiled over with compassion. It was the father who ran. It was the father who smothered the sinner in affection. Through this younger brother's story, Jesus is telling us tonight something very, very profound about the father. So what can we learn from the younger brother? This is it. That God is quicker to mercy than we are with our sorry. If you don't like the way that's worded, please go ahead and put in your own words. But God is quicker to mercy than we are with even saying sorry. He is on the ball. Like, have you guys ever seen redemption in motion like this? Have you ever seen something powerful and radical like this type of love? I remember the first night that my cat didn't come home after letting him outside. It's a rough night at my house. I looked outside for about five minutes and couldn't find Cliff anywhere. And as I laid down in bed, giving up, searching really hard, I thought all night as I stayed awake, my cat's going to die tonight. Cliff is gone. I just imagine him like smoking cigarettes and drinking and gambling and stuff. You know, real, real cat of the night stuff, you know. Like, dang it, Cliff. But like a good father, I didn't give up. I may have thrown up a prayer or two. And I wake up the next morning, hopeful and a little doubtful. And I go to the back, backyard in the window, and I, I see him out there. And I open the door. And I run towards him, and he kind of runs towards me. And before he could ever even get one little squeak out or prepared speech of saying how sorry he was, I just grabbed him and squeezed him and twirled him around. Radical love. But really, no, like, have you actually, that's a joke. Have you, like, actually seen radical love? Like, have you actually ever seen redemption in motion like this story? I have a friend who went to Salt Company with, okay? I was in connection group with him, hung out all the time. He met a girl in Salt Company, great girl. They ended up getting married right out of, right out of school. And just a great couple, it's awesome. Handful of years later, I get a text from the guy about 10 p.m., 11 p.m., so I don't know, it's late, late enough to know that when he says he needs to come over, I know he's being serious, that type of text. And a few minutes later, he's at my door, and it's almost like he just burst in, grabs me, shaking uncontrollably, sobbing, and it almost like he yelled in my ear, she cheated on me. And I, I had a feeling, but you can't like prepare for that when a friend of yours goes through something like that, because this is a good Christian couple, like they were in the seats you're in, like this doesn't happen to people like us, Right? Right? And so we sit there for a couple hours, and I don't remember a word I said. I maybe said 10, 15 words. He said a few more. 
We prayed, we cried. And I don't remember a single word he really said, but I do remember the tone he took. And I'm telling you, my friend, this night in this moment showed me exactly what this radical love and what this like powerful mercy looks like. Because there was not one word that he said against his wife that was out of spite. There was a man who had every single reason to be vindictive, to get her back, to make her feel like, hey, you need to know how bad you hurt me. No. He could not stop being merciful and talking about the love he had for his bride. And instead of going and sleeping on somebody else's couch that night or staying with me, he went home and he got to work. And he showed me what quick mercy can do to heal a broken relationship. Mercy is not weakness, guys. When mercy is like this, mercy is absolutely powerful, powerful enough to change broken relationships, to change lives. What we see here from this younger brother, like if we just kind of mapped out his life here, his plan, this is the blueprint for how to do college that you've been given, right? Like this is what you came to college. A lot of you new people are like, yeah, yep, this is what we're told to be like. This is our guy. Like get out of the parents' house, explore your freedom. Just get loose, get a taste of the good life, right? And I'm not dumb to think that there's a lot of like younger brothers here tonight, right? I know that. That's okay, that's good. I'm glad you're here. But you've done the college thing. You've had a few weeks now, you've tasted and you've seen. You're here for the show or for some reason, I don't know. But maybe tonight, you're hearing about a God who has prodigal mercy, which prodigal doesn't mean lost, it means like excessive, like lavish, usually in a negative way, but in this case I'm saying this God has a prodigal, a lavish love, and you're hearing about that right now, that mercy, and you know that you want it just a little bit. That you like the way it sounds if it's actually true. And so even now, in your head, maybe even on your notes, who knows, you're prepping your speech. Just like this guy was in the pig pen, you were prepping your speech. You're thinking, how can I clean up my life so that this father, God, will accept me back to the family table? That I can actually deserve to be here tonight. And I'm here to tell you that if you're doing that, you are still underestimating this father. Guys, he loves you right now. Like right now. He doesn't need you to clean yourself up, to give the speech, then to be his child. He wants the you coming in here tonight covered in whatever you dragged in with the pig pen. That's amazing. And so tonight I urge you to turn from your sins and your rebellion against the Father and come home. Stop running from your Father and come back to him. And I know that can be scary because a lot of you guys, looking back to high school and you're like, dude, coming home late when I was going to get in trouble is not a pleasant experience for me. I know what it's like to come home to an angry dad. Why would I do that now? Well, I'm asking you, what is this God like? Not what are your experiences like? What is this God like? I'm telling you, he is slow to anger, but he is aggressive in showing his mercy. And that is good news for people like us, that God is boiling over with compassion for you tonight. And even if you have to limp towards him, will you go to him right now and accept this welcome party, this feast that he has on your behalf, that he has invited the whole town to, that he has invited all of heaven to, and man, that could be your story. Praise God for that moment right now in some of your lives. Welcome home. It's my joy to say that to you, but the story goes on. There's another brother that this story would actually be incomplete if we didn't address. Okay, and so what happens next? Pick it up with me in verse 25 through 32. So the feast has begun, 
But it says in verse 25, now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. That's great news, right? Well, no, but then he became angry. And he didn't want to go in, so his father came out and pleaded with him. Underline that. He pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I guess that's like a good celebration or something. You get a goat to celebrate with your friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this other brother out in the field, why is he out in the field? Well, he'll tell you. He was slaving away for his cruel father. Somebody who we saw more as a boss than a father, it would seem. And he hears the good news of his brother, but doesn't really think it's good news. Instead of celebrating, he complains, this is not fair. I have never done any of the stuff that he has been doing. And he's getting celebrated and not me. Some of you guys, like, never skip class. Like, you follow all the rules, you understand this, right? You're like, dude, I deserve a little more celebration here. Like, I do everything by the book. I'm a good person. What the heck, right? We get this. We understand his angst, and I think Jesus' original crowd understand their angst as well, especially the religious ones. Why? Well, it seems that even though the older brother kept every rule and did everything by the book, he missed out in the end. He missed the celebration. He missed his brother. He missed his father's love. Why? Because he missed the heart of his father. It seems to me like he actually does not know his father very well. And he missed what he was all about. And he thinks like many of us can fall into when we get really, really into religion. When we get really, really excited about church and doing all the right things, we might fall into a ditch like this. Like he thinks that his standing with the father is based on the works that he does for him. Does that hit home with anybody except for me? He thinks that the way to be happy in this life is to earn God's favor and get what is due. He is actually no different from the younger brother at the beginning in that he doesn't want a relationship with the father at all. He just wants what he can give him. And in doing so, he missed it all. He missed the father who loves him, who, like I said to underline in verse 28, the father who pleaded with him to come into the celebration, who would not stop extending his love even to this cold man? Like, do you see this patience and love just bouncing off the cold heart of the older brother? What can we learn from the older brother? It's this, that God is painstakingly patient even to the coldest of us. He's so patient even to us with the coldest hearts. My greatest fear in life, guys, is telling so many people how to follow Jesus over and over and over again, especially with a microphone, telling you, you need to follow Jesus. This is how you do it. And I don't do it myself. That is my greatest fear. And I wish I didn't have so many examples of impressive preachers with microphones and congregations who can talk a big game, but literally grow cold in their heart and turn and hate their God. 
I wish I had to have so many story after story after story about salt company leaders who have the biggest connection groups, who have the most influence, who tell everybody what to do and actually have no relationship with this father of their own. It terrifies me. That happens when we actually start to believe that our relationship with this God is based on what we earn, not what is given to us. This is called self-righteousness. It's a big word, but it's a very important and scary word. Self-righteousness, and it's what every single person that is going to be in hell forever has in common. We think the righteousness, so we call it our goodness, right? That the righteousness that we bring to the family table, like that's what saves us our seat. But that's not this family table. This table, this family is invite by mercy only. And that is good news for those of us who recognize that we smell like pig pen. (laughs) What we see in this older brother is this pitfall of religion. And in a sad way, we also see that ice-melting love of a father who wants a relationship with him and wants one with you tonight. Father who is pleading to just stop earning and come celebrate this mercy. So friends, in the same way we said earlier, I would say, repent tonight of your self-righteousness. Turn away from trying to earn God's love and accept it freely. And I want to talk specifically to the young men in the room for just a second, okay? I know we're talking about love and a father who smothers and kisses his son, right? All this affection talk, I know. I know it's an emotional story, and I know us more than anyone want so badly to earn affection in life. Like, we want to earn the approval of others, especially older men in our life. That's what it means to be a man, right? Get what you're owed, make up for the people you wrong and the mistakes you make. But listen to me say this to you. Tonight, God is looking right at you and he is pleading with you to open your ears to hear him say, I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. And you're like, no, you don't know. No, I'm proud of you. And he wants you to believe that and accept that tonight, no matter what you have come in here with tonight. He can say that to everybody in this room, that he loves us, that he's proud of us. How can he do that? With this ragtag group, with this pig pen people, with me, how can he do that? Well, this is the point of the story. And this is where we're land, guys. Jesus, the storyteller himself, is the better older brother that this whole entire story is pointing to. Instead of saying, like the older brother, give me what he has, Father, Jesus hung up and bled and died on a cross and said, what's mine is yours. What you didn't earn, take freely. When Jesus hung on a cross, he offered you everything that he earned. You didn't have a brother that just said, go get your act together. You have a brother who left his father to come hunt you down and to bring you home. You had a brother who had his father's full approval and offers it to you tonight. You have Jesus, the person telling the story tonight, making us, stirring in us a longing for him to come home. What can we learn from this storyteller? This is our final point tonight, that Jesus is the older brother we all need. You ever seen like a really young kid, like maybe like three or under, get like a new baby sibling? 
it's hilarious. Most of my friends are all having babies and stuff, and like, you know, they get one, and they get all the affection and the love, but then there's another one that comes, and what happens is wonderful. The little, like, two or three-year-old gets ticked off, right? And they get jealous of the new baby. Why? Because all the love and affection that you were giving that baby, that's supposed to be mine. Like, hold up. I'm the cute one here. <laughs> like, you can't love them. Like, I, they're not obviously articulating this because they have no motor skills, but they're like, dude, they are jealous for the love of their parents. They believe that there is a love shortage. And so they act in an according way. What you have learned tonight from the good example of the repentant younger brother and the bad example of the cold-hearted try-hard of the older brother is that with this father, there is no love shortage. There is enough for every single rebel and every single prodigal son and daughter to come home, to not be orphans, to be adopted, and to be called the children of God. This father is so lavish with his mercy and kindness that we never want to leave this table. He's so warm and inviting that even our coldest hearts melt tonight when he calls you by your name. We come to the table with our kind of like, I'm sorry speech, all prepped and practiced, only to be tackled, hugged, and smothered in affection by our father. As we fumble our best words of repentance, he puts this ring and this robe and these sandals on us, reminding us a thousand times over that we are his sons and daughters, and he is proud of us. Guys, could you imagine coming to a salt company like this? A salt company that believes this. A salt company where we all look like this father. Man, I want to be a part of that. Guys, we don't want to be a place where you just come because it's cool for a moment. Or that you feel something great here. Or that the people seem fun or like good company to keep. We don't want to be an event that just oozes with hype. We want to be a family around a table. A table set by this father. Father, that we all begin to take after and resemble together. That's a place I want to be. I'm telling you, if you knew this father, you would absolutely love him. Okay, and here's the simple application out of this whole sermon. It's just so simple. It's two parts. You're going to want to write these down because they are profound, okay? College. Getting into routine now is a great place to start reading your Bible. God has revealed himself through his word. And so I want you to get, go to your connection group leader tonight and ask them, hey, where do I start reading in my Bible? I'll put that on them. Start beholding the Lord God Almighty, your loving and warm father. And I promise you, you will start to become like who you behold. Like who you spend time with, you will become more like. And I'm telling you, before you spend time with anybody here, spend time with your father. An old man, like a really old man, like an 80-something-year-old man, told me at Veritas a couple weeks ago, God loves to spend time with me in the morning. Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever heard? That could be you when you're 80. That's awesome. Spend time with the Lord. Become like the one you behold. And second, this one's on connection group leaders too. I want you to get together. I want you to have a feast. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means going to Buffalo Wild Wings. 
or going to Olive Garden for the lunch special, or making a picnic with your connection group. I don't care. Get creative. But I want you to get together, to tell your stories about what God has done in your life and what he's doing in your life. Recall the kindness of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ on the cross, and celebrate with some sort of college-style feast. Go to the dining halls. Live it up, people. But there is a father here, guys. And if you get to know him, I promise you will love him. He is what makes us, hopefully, who we are and who we are becoming more like. So let me pray for you guys as we go on with our night. Lord Jesus, man, thank you so much. You tell us in your word that we should start praying our father. What a cool thing to say. What a cool position to be in. That we cry, Abba, Father. Like little children, Dada. How intimate you are, God. How loving, how careful you are to see all of us tonight in every single individual seat to meet us where we're at, God. And I'm thankful that you have made a way back to you so plain and simple and clear that we cannot miss it, we cannot forgo it tonight. That Jesus hung up on a cross after spending eternity in a perfect relationship with his father and but for a moment was separated so that we could be adopted in. That's the gospel. That is good news. And so, Lord, I pray that people who have wandered off and people who have never actually stepped foot in your house, all of us together would come home to the family table tonight. And God, as we kind of set off this, this voyage of a semester with all of our differences and uniqueness and just different stages of life, I mean, whatever, man, we're gonna need a lot of grace from you. We're gonna need a lot of grace to be the family unit that you would want us to be. But God, keep us right where we need to be at the foot of the cross, daily receiving that grace from you. And so God, I just pray for joy in this room. As we end, I just pray that these songs would be a joyful, sweet, sweet sound to your ear, that this would be a holy and good sacrifice that you love our worship. God, I love these people and I love you. Thank you for what you're doing.